Hey friends, I appreciate you tuning into the Deal Farm Podcast, where I hope you feel at least mildly entertained and possibly even inspired to take big action towards improving your life and your business. On this episode of The Deal Farm, Kevin and I talk with Neil Bawa about the current state of multifamily. And let me tell you, Neil has some incredible insights on why right now is the time to get in. Stick around because you do not want to miss this amazing conversation with Neil. Kevin, what's shaking, my man? Man, it is good to be back in town, but uh, man, what a great couple of weeks out on the West Coast. Man, it's so hard to re-enter after two weeks of just paradise in Northern California. I got to tell you, I don't know about you, but I did a pretty good job uh, just disconnecting, not looking at email, right? Not doing work. We were up in the Redwoods. It was easy because there wasn't a lot of co- connectivity up in the mountains in the Redwoods. and uh, But boy, I came back to a massive email. <laughs> my, my email is just packed out. No, it's ridiculous. There's a de- direct correlation to like how long you're gone and the level of stress when you have to re-enter. Yeah. Because there's okay. so much waiting for you when you get back. Yeah. So we got a great team in place that, you know, kept the fires at bay, did, did a good job, but no doubt that there were, there's a line of people that were just waiting. Hey, are you back in town? Can we talk? We need to figure this out. So yeah. Yeah. But it was it was definitely nice to get to get away. And then I, I did a pretty good job of unplugging. I mean, I, I stayed in and delegated here and there. But for the most part, it was it's pretty darn relaxing, which you can't always say that about a vacation. Well, you did a little extended like you got up to the wine country. You got up to the northern coast. I mean, you, you did some bonus bonus travel, got some bonus travel. That legitimately is one of my favorite places on the planet It's just the Redwoods, you know, Pacific Coast Highway, you know, Sonoma County you got the vineyards. It's just it's just spectacular is what it is. Yeah. And Sonoma is basically Napa. I mean, you're right there by, right. I mean, the wine country, it's just it gorgeous. Yep. And it's a little, it's a little less crowded. It's a little less known just as scenic though, if not more scenic, cause you're, you're closer to the Redwoods there. Yeah. And I didn't know, you know, we've been to Mendocino several times. It's up there though. Mendocino's pretty far North on the coast, isn't it? I mean, it's a, it's a haul from San Francisco. So we Mendocino. So we landed in Mendocino for a night and we actually, went ahead and went up to Fort Bragg too, which I'd never been to Fort Bragg before. Oh, wow. That's way up there. Just to check it out. It's 10 minutes up the road from Mendocino, but yeah, you're pretty far up there. And, uh, you know, they have this beach called glass beach and it's, mm-hmm. it's called glass beach because of all the debris over the years and, and the glass that have polished, you know, the, the ocean, and then it's washed up on the shores and it's actually pretty spectacular. There's all yeah, this beach of sea glass, right? I mean, beach it's basically of sea glass. that's pretty cool. But there were the, the, these other random, metal components built into the rock and the coral or whatever it is. And I was like, what? It couldn't figure out what it was. And my, our uncle had mentioned to me that it was uh, back in the day, they would just throw engine parts into the ocean. <laughs> like the people for Bragg just threw all their trash in the ocean. And it was like, it was, uh, it was literally engine parts that yeah. were, had, that over time had just sort of become embedded in the rock. It was crazy. And that's part of the sand. Spark plugs. I, I, it was like spark plugs and stuff. <laughs> and now it's pretty go figure now it's an interesting beach to go to beautiful well it was great i love traveling that was a great great trip uh with family out there uh and we got a guy who today who's an expert in travel we, we've actually just got finished we talked to him like for 30 40 minutes just about his international travel which is phenomenal but that's not why he's coming on the show today i know that we kept joking about the fact that we needed to have another podcast with him just on all his travel hacks because yeah. he, I mean, I use points and I convert points to hotels and airlines and whatnot. And I thought I was pretty good at it. No, 
I don't know what the heck I'm doing compared to him. The, the stuff that he's doing is next level. It's amazing. Traveling internationally, flying business class, you know, to Asia and Europe, all on points that yeah. he's just yeah. been able to hack in such a way that he's like multiplying eight times over. It was crazy. I will say the one uh, website, one amazing takeaway that we'll give to the audience is this website that he uses called point.me for all you folks that have membership rewards with different credit cards and how to use those most effectively. And it's uh, it's an amazing way to hack your way into really leveraging those points. So this guy, but he does speak around the country oh, every yeah. year, multiple times, but it's not about travel like that. That's not his thing. No. It just was absolutely fascinating what he's figured. He's just brilliant. The guy's brilliant. Data he's brilliant. Yeah. It's a great interview. I will say that my head was spinning by the end though, because he's just, man, the dude's smart and is, and he's talking a mile a minute and he's dropping statistics like just like they're coming out of his rear end constantly. It's unbelievable. Yeah. yeah it's like talking to the wall street journal. I mean, the, just the, yes. the stuff he just spitting out top of his head is all in yesterday, this report last time, the guy is phenomenal. Yeah. I, you know, and I, you know, I know some about the multifamily space, a little bit about the commercial space, but I'm not up to date. Like to, Hey, where are we in the market cycle? What are we, what are we seeing in terms of statistics? And, you know, obviously the news is that multifamily is down commercials way down, um, but to really hone into the level that he did, man, I think this is such one of the best podcasts we've, we've ever done because there's so much valuable insight into the market yeah. that we're in right now. Yeah. So today we're drilling into multifamily. I mean, that's really what we want to talk about today. That, yeah. That's his sweet spot. Yep. Yep. I say we cue the interview. What do you think? Outstanding. Looking forward to it. Neil, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm super excited to be here, guys, with the Corsini brothers. <laughs> <laughs> well, what the what our listeners don't know is the fact that you and I have been on the literally on a call for an hour just talking about travel. And I'm, we talked about you are a wealth of knowledge in multifamily, obviously, but who knew that you were such a wealth of knowledge when it comes to travel and points and how to kind of hack the system? I feel like that's a whole other podcast in and of itself. Well, that's because I'm a numbers guy and I'm a hacker. I, I, what I do is I use mathematical probabilities to get the outcome that I desire. So what, what I'm doing with multifamily and what I'm doing with hacking 5 million points a year are really the same activity. I'm just applying different strategies and using the same math. So here's the question. Which one came first? Were you, were you into the travel first or multifamily came first? Did one enable the other? Multifamily enabled the travel because as a business person, I'm able to put a million dollars a year of spend on cards. So that gives me the 5 million miles. And then I basically hack various airlines and travel around the world. So my party of five travels business class around the world multiple times. It's not free. It's not free, but it's highly discounted travel using using points. So um, multifamily is enabling that travel, Kevin. Yeah. It, very interesting how you do it, too. I wish we had another podcast just for that because it was really fast. We need to schedule another one just because I, I use membership rewards points and I convert them to hotel and to an airline and same thing. My, my family always travels and it feels like for free. It's not really for free, but the way that you're taking that and then like putting that on steroids and, and hacking it and using different websites just blew my mind. I had no idea. So again, this is a whole other, another conversation. I feel like another podcast, another podcast. But for today it's multifamily, right? Today, it's multifamily, maybe a little bit of office. I mean, for yeah, those folks that yeah. don't know who you are, I mean, I, I, I'd obviously, you know, we have some mutual friends and I, heard, I knew who you were before. Now, this is the first time we're meeting, but maybe give us just sort of a the quick five minute summary 
How you found sure. yourself in the multifamily space? Yeah, I'm a technologist, a data scientist. I have had a successful tech career and had a successful <laughs> tech exit after running a company for 14 years. Uh, while I was running the company, I was building campuses from scratch for that company. No investors, no syndication, just company money, all cash, no loans to build campuses. So I learned a lot about real estate in my day job as a, a as a uh, senior partner in a technology company. Hmm. Um, and uh, also because I live in Texafornia and I have a big fat tech salary, <laughs> I was paying 53% of my salary in taxes. And so 10 years before I became a full-time real estate investor, I was buying lots, loads and loads of real estate for myself just to get my taxation down. And I actually did well. I mean, it, there, there were years when I was a full-time technologist with a massive salary and massive bonuses where I didn't pay any taxes, right? And this was before I had any investors, before I had, before I even knew what syndication was, I was able to achieve those goals uh, simply by the, the, by the use of real estate. And real estate is absolutely unique. I, I tell people real estate is America's only completely legitimate, 100% non-gray tax scam. <laughs> if you use it right, you can do it legally. You're scamming the system legally. It's completely legal. I think it's highly unethical, but the law can't be changed. That's because 100% of the richest people in America and 100% of the people in Congress own massive amounts of, 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 of real estate. It yep. just it would kill them to change the law. So I don't think it's ever going to change. <laughs> now, was it, were those single family back when you first started or were you going straight into multifamily? So it was a combination of a large number of single families. So I still own, you know, dozens of single family properties. I, I never sold them because if I sell them, then the depreciation gets recaptured and, you know, yeah. tax problems, 53%. So I've never really sold anything. So I, I've, I've been holding on to assets for a very long time. Um, it was, a, But it was also that I had shares in those commercial buildings that I was building. So, oh, so I was getting depreciation from large commercial assets and they were always 100% occupied because my business was the occupant and the business just did better and better until the day we sold it. So um, I got schooled in real estate in a completely different way from anybody else. I tell people, most people start with a single family rental or a fix and flip. I started with a 27,000 square foot custom campus that I built for myself oh my and gosh. my company. Wow, so that was my first exposure to real estate before, like five years before I I, I got my first uh, single family. So it, it's it's been a very interesting journey, and that's why about seventy percent of my assets are in development. So you know, thirty percent of my assets are just like you guys. You know, I buy multifamily and I hold value add, improve, blah blah blah. Right. But seventy percent of my assets are in development because I understand development, I understand how risky it is, and I, so I know how to uh, to uh, you know reduce that risk through techniques that I've learned over the last fifteen years. So 70% of your portfolio is in development. And what and in that specifically multifamily developments or what kind of development are you in? I've developed uh, multifamily. I've developed student housing. I've developed townhomes. I've also developed luxury townhomes and built to rent. Um, and I've done office and flex. Well, actually, it was an industrial with 20% of it being office in the front. So it was basically a, an industrial warehouse where in the front you have a little bit of selling space, which a lot of companies really like. They like, and it's cheap office, not like the sort of office that's having trouble today. It's like a dollar per square foot type of office, very right. cheap, very inexpensive, glass front, and then everything else is really industrial in the back. Fantastic uh, product. Wow. Well, so so you exited your your tech business and then went full steam into real estate. What did that look like? And maybe talk for a minute about what your businesses look like today. 
Yeah, so I, I didn't go full steam. Actually, what happened is in 2008, once I started applying data science to real estate and started buying my my you know properties and started to get results, um, I started publishing that information in a meetup group that was actually running inside of my tech business. So we had large classrooms and, and people would actually come in there and I'd walk 75 feet to go to my meetup from my corner office to to the to the classroom and so i started teaching it people started coming in you know i'm i'm in silicon valley so everyone that walks in is a geek nerd dork uh, so there's basically just a collection of nerds talking nerdy stuff <laughs> about real estate and using data science and the group started sort of started to grow and somebody suggested that i publish my real estate data science on a uh, online website called udemy u d e m y which is now the world's largest uh, collection of uh, uh, courses online courses and i publish it there and can i think like 50 people are going to show up right Right now, if you go to udemy.com slash real focus, 12 and a half thousand people are taking my data science of in real estate course. It's a way to hack real estate by using data science. But because I'm a data scientist and you're not, I had to figure out a way to make it easy for you. So we created a system where anyone who's never not a data scientist and not is not even good with Excel can figure out the best cities in America to invest in in 10 minutes. That part was 10 times harder than figuring out the science. Because science is hard, science is difficult, science is complicated, but taking science and turning it into something that people could do in 10 minutes, that actually took two years to figure out. But the course went supernova, it's got thousands of five-star uh, reviews. People are like, this is incredible. I all of a sudden understand why certain cities do well and certain cities don't do well, even in the same state. And so a following sort of developed and I didn't do anything about it, I just basically had a following and people started calling me to conferences. So I'd go and present at conferences and they'd be like, I want to invest in your deal. And I'm like, no, no, I'm running a tech company. I don't have any deals. And they're like, well, well, wait a minute. I, I can't invest. Why are you here? I mean, why are you at a real estate conference? I'm like, these guys, they give me free food and free airfare and free tickets. And I come here and tell people about data science. You don't think that's a good deal. And they're like, you're an idiot. You should be doing all this stuff with investors. And so I'm like, I'm you know, listening to them and saying, yeah, they're probably right and sort of gathering investor databases, but my company was doing better and better, so I really couldn't leave it. And so four or five years after I started doing that, I finally sold the company. You know, I was a, C a junior partner, made my money, and now I had a pile of money that was going to have 53% in taxation, so you can guess what I did with it. And once I put that money into real estate, other people joined me, and it sort of snowballed from there. Uh, and you know, very geeky groups, very nerdy investors, lots of doctors, lots of lawyers, lots of uh, technologists, um, there's currently 950 active investors and in the portfolio is about a billion dollars in 30 assets. Holy wow. moly. As of, and when did you, when did you start the the portfolio and in, in the syndications and whatnot? I think the first really tiny syndication was in 2014. Okay. Gotcha. So you really wow. haven't even been doing that, that, that long. I mean, I less than 10 years. years. Yeah. No, so to real estate, 20 years, syndication, nine years. I mean, really, the Jobs Act happened in 2012. Most syndicators really started around 2014 because it mm -hmm. took a year for the law to become clear. Yeah. Um, so right. a lot of syndicators like me started in that time frame. Yeah, that makes sense. And so you've got a couple companies. Is that right? Multiple companies in this space? We have three different companies. Uh, there's Multifamily University, which simply is an education type company where we provide webinars around all things uh, real estate, not all things multifamily. We do lots of webinars that have nothing to do with multifamily. Mm -hmm. um, and so we do a dozen webinars, a, well, about 15 webinars a year and about 25,000 people sign up for those webinars. All of them go to multifamilyu.com, which has no subscription, no upsell, no educational product. 
It's simply a site where people are meant to to gather con- and connect and talk about uh, real estate from a mathematical or data science or numbers measuring perspective. Uh, the the company that makes revenue is called Grow Capitalist, so standard syndicator, except it's also a development company. So one third of its projects are value add type stuff, usually multifamily or self storage. And then two thirds of those projects are development, mostly multifamily or built to rent. And then the third company is a specific build to rent company called Ugro. And Ugro only does build to rent projects. Build to rent, in case you don't know, is essentially these days townhomes for people who almost can afford single family home mortgages, but not quite, and they don't want to live in apartments. So it's the piece of the audience that is above apartments, but below single family ownership. And there's about 18 million families in the United States in that bucket and BTR serves that group. It's not affordable housing. It's affordable townhomes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. When it's not always townhome, at least the build the rent space isn't always a lot. uh, Even around here in Atlanta, you'll see just a normal looking single family development. It just happens to be build the rent. That that's what the way I mean, built to rent started in 2015 with those. So it's basically a single family home, but there's a hundred of them together or 200 of them. So you get scale. Unfortunately, in 2023, no one's building the single families anymore because construction costs have made that, you know, unprofitable. So at this point, a very large percentage of BTR is either duplexes or townhomes. That makes sense. Yeah. Well, that and then just the debt's more expensive and construction costs went through the roof over the last three years. I even wondered to myself, like, how are these build the rent companies making a go of it right now? Because we have a new construction arm ourselves. And I'm like, the costs are, I don't know how the math works anymore, but that makes sense. That yeah, wait, but there, there's benefits, right? So when, when, so a piece of land that I was buying for two and a half million dollars and I had 60 days to close with a hundred thousand dollar hard deposit on day one. Today, that two and a half million dollar piece of land is a million dollars. Yes, it's gone down 60%, right? And I have 17 months to walk away. Six months before my $50,000, not $100,000, $50,000 goes hard. And then 11 more months, if, so if the city doesn't approve me, right? So after, after six months, I'm in for that 50. But if the city doesn't approve me, I still get my 50 back, right? Um, so I have now 17 months instead of two. So... Um, that reduces my cost by a million and a half and also reduces my risk. Now, does that fully make up for the for the rise in construction costs and interest rates? No, but it makes a big dent. Mm-hmm. And so the things that we're doing is if you were building 1,350 square foot uh, properties and we're now building 1,215 or we're building 1,175. So we're also you know shrinking the properties to make things um, work. Mm-hmm. And the, the yards are no longer 15 by 15. They're eight by eight, right? So, or, yeah. or eight by 15. So smaller yards, uh, smaller properties, um, you know, some of them are not even nine foot ceilings anymore. They're back to eight, you know, which is the standard for apartments. So you make these cuts and then once you get to the point where interest rates go down, then you move back to where you were. Yeah. And what are, what have rents been doing over the last year, two years? Are they, in, they haven't necessarily increased corresponding with, you know, construction prices, but are they, they, are they also on the increase? They haven't. So if you look at inflation over the last 12 months, right? So 12 months ago, headline CPI was 9.1. Today it's three, right? So the average is, let's call it five and a half. Right. Because mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's obviously yep. been dropping in a straight line between then and then. So that's five and a half percent. Now, if you study rents in the United States for the last 75 years, rents always are above inflation. So like uh, 1974 to 1984, we had very high inflation in this country for 10 years. Right. Well, you notice that that the rents were like crazy, six to 12 percent a year 
for mm. those 10 years, right? So rents usually stay above inflation. So right now that's not the case because mm. if you look at uh, multifamily rents in the United States, they've gone up maybe 1.4%, 1.5% in the last year, mm. right? It, just as an aggregate. And some cities have gone down, like boom towns have gone down, right? right? Phoenix, for example, Austin, they've lost rents. So if you look at th that 12% mark and you're saying, okay, so inflation average was 5.5%, rents are 1.5%. Well, then rents are actually 4% below inflation right now, which is unusual. However, however, if you take it as a two-year time frame, not one year, so if you, you look at 24 months in the past and average it out, rents are above inflation because you're taking, you know, you, you had 14% rent growth and then one and a half percent. So you total that together at 15%, right? Mm -hmm. And then you had you had five and a half percent inflation in the last 12 months and three and a half percent in the 12 months before that. And then you average it. Now you're at 9% for two years of inflation. You're at 15% of two years of rent growth. Rent growth's tracking exactly the way it does above inflation. It's just, we just had too much rent growth in a single year. And the yeah. last 12 months have been a moderation, have been a, hey, we, we, need, we need to adjust because people don't make you know that much more money. So that moderation is what we are seeing. Normally, when, when inflation goes up in a straight line like this, we mm -hmm. see huge rent growth. It's mm -hmm. just the year before we'd already had that rent growth. So, right. so we didn't. So there's really nothing wrong with rent growth in the United States at this point of time. Um, even in the last six months, I think rent growth in the US has been about uh, half a percent up or mm -hmm. maybe three quarters of a percent up. Not sexy. But hey, you just had a 16% rent growth, right? right? right. In All-time high or 15%, 16%, whatever that number is. So there's some moderation is completely normal, right? So for the moment, one could say, if I look at it from a 12-month perspective, it sucks. From a 24-month perspective, it's all in balance. You know, that's it's why the headlines are never in context. You know, the, oh, the, rent, the multifamily rents or, you know, this and that. But they're not looking at, like you said, over the two year. Well, you just had this amazing previous year. And so you average the two together and they're actually fine. Everybody's well, not because breathing. all the headlines are clickbait. And if you basically say things that are rational, then nobody clicks on your ad. I, it's it's human beings that are at fault. We are at fault because we never click on anything that doesn't look horrible or, or uninteresting. <laughs> when the true. truth is multifamily, if you take it over two years, is uninteresting. Now, what is interesting in multifamily right now is completely irrational investors. So take all of, there's a million investors that invest in multifamily. Yeah. The vast majority, I'd say 800, 900,000 of them are right now in a state of complete and utter irrationality. The remaining 10% are institutional investors and boy, they want to buy everything right now. So it's, mm -hmm. they're, they're, they, those people completely understand what's going on. And, and what's amazing is institutional investors they're buying right now with floating debt and rate caps, which, by the way, floating debt is a four-letter word mm -hmm. in the industry right now. When you say floating debt, you're saying F off, right? And, and, but if you ask institutional investors, they're like, this is the best time we've ever seen to buy with floating debt and rate caps because their numbers indicate that there's a 98, 98%, 9% chance that interest rates will be lower in 12 to 18 months. And they're patient. So if it's not 12 and it's 18, they don't care. If it's not 18, it's 24. But what they're saying is there's almost a 99% chance that two years from now, interest rates will be much lower. So why should I buy? Uh, why should I buy a fixed rate today when I know that it's going to be lower and that's going to reduce the value of my building to have a fixed rate? But I can't sell. Uh, floating debt to my investors. Why? Because they're completely irrational. I'm being forced to do something that I don't want to do, which is to get fixed debt. But I can't convince one investor that that's a terrible idea. <laughs> it's still, I mean, human nature, it still feels like a gamble. 
right? Because nobody's got a crystal ball. And I hear what you're saying. Yes. Why, why is it a gamble if it's a rate cap, right? It feels like a gamble. It's not yeah. a gamble. There's a difference between feels like a gamble and gamble. Yeah. This feels very much like a gamble, but it's not really a gamble. Why would institutional investors, whose job, by the way, is to do math, that's all they do. Because Why? Because they don't do the work that Ken Corsini or Kevin Corsini does. They don't visit the sites. They don't argue over every single dollar on whether this should be a granite countertop or it should be this. They are doing money arbitrage. They do money arbitrage, right? They don't do any of the hard work that you and I do. They don't sit in any of those million meetings. They do. They're very good with financial arbitrage. That they're vastly superior to us in their, their thinking about financial arbitrage. And none of the institutionals right now wants to get a fixed loan because they're like, either we're at the peak of, of uh, rates or we're close to the peak. Why the heck should I lock myself into a 10-year close to the peak? Makes no sense. Yeah. It's a, and so they're the, this 10% of these institutional buyers are the only ones that are aggressively looking to buy multifamily where the irrational investors right now are sitting on the sidelines. Maybe talk for a minute about why are they sitting which, on the which sidelines? Is, ridiculous, right? Absolutely ridiculous. So for the last 18 months, and I, I do a lot of podcasts. So I think there's 200 podcasts. If you go to podchaser.com and, and watch my podcast, there's a couple hundred of them, right? And you notice if you go back six months, nine months, 12 months, 15, 18, I'm saying the same thing, which is, this is a great time to sit on the sidelines. None of this, the, none of the, the, these numbers make sense. All of these rates, these prices need to come down no one should be buying property at you know three and a half cap or 3.75 cap. I've been very consistent in saying that. I bought one and a half property, value-add properties, one and a half, meaning one of them was my own property. I just exited some of my partners. Um, so I bought one and a half property where my students, I used to teach multifamily way back when, like many years ago. So I have hundreds of students. They're all buying six, eight, 10 properties in that madness that we started in the second half of 2020 and ended uh, it, by the second half of 2022, that period, that two-year period of madness, everyone was buying everything that they could possibly get their hands on. You know why? Because no investor was rational and everyone was throwing money at syndicators. So people are buying 50, 60, $70 million properties when they should be buying 10, 15, $20 million properties. Mm -hmm. And I'm just sitting on the sidelines, venting my, my frustration in podcasts, dozens of them, right? Now, in the last three months, I've been saying, we're getting close, we're getting close, we're getting close. This is, you know, everyone, make sure your, your powder is dry. Make sure you're basically, you, you have access because you're going to get access to deals. And people are like, no, 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 prices are only down 10% and they should be down further. And I'm like, you're right, you're right. It, you know, it, but, but it's going to happen. Today, which is August, we are seeing between 22 and 26% price discounts on multifamily properties. And I'll explain why. From peak, and just so you know, in case you're wondering what the peak was, the peak was early, early to, uh, early January, early February of 2022, right? So some people call the peak Q4 of 2021. Some people mm -hmm. say Q1 of 2022. Average it out, right? Okay. That was the peak. That's yep. when properties were selling for highly, ridiculously irrational prices. I sold a property that I bought for $55,000 a door. Old, 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 old property in Tucson. And I sold it for $183,000 a door during that time. Oh I had gosh. no idea who bought it. I have no idea what their business plan was. It just, <laughs> it's stunning, right? I mean, and it's not like I kept the property for 10 years. I kept it for three, right? So 
$55,000 a door. Three years later, $183,000 a door, 117-unit property, really, really old from 1970s, right? So there was a a huge amount of irrationality. And people like me, we were busy selling our properties. Like this one sold, that one sold. Let's sell this one. Let's sell that one. What about this one? We've only had it for a year. Let's sell it. I mean, people are giving us (laughs) stupid prices. I mean, I'm going to sell. I kept, I sold properties that I'd kept for 15 months, 16 months. Right. Because it's like this is highly, highly irrational. My entire five year business plan is being achieved. Why would I wait? Right. What, right? Yeah, what do you so we were really you? awesome sellers. We just went around selling everything that anybody wanted to buy. Right. <laughs> so and we sold a lot. I mean, we, we got to the point where I was in tax trouble. Right. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, that these, we sold so many properties. I was in serious tax trouble because all my depreciation was getting recaptured. I'm still like, keep selling, man. This is crazy. <laughs> so, so so here's what happens. At that point, investors weren't paying attention. And and I'm not trying to bash you investors. It's just a general comment. Just listen to what I'm saying. No one was really looking at underwriting. Underwriting had stuff like 4% annual rent growth, exit cap rates in the Fords. There was a lot of stuff that was done to for somebody to buy my property at $183,000 a door. They had to make all kinds of outlanding assumptions. As you can imagine, none of those assumptions worked out over the last 18 months. So now you have a bunch of in- investors that are subject to cash calls, right? Yeah, and right. also are subject to losing their properties. There's 2,500 properties that were purchased in the last three years, 2,500 purchased in the last three years using floating rate debt that Holy are bleeding, Lord. meaning yeah. meaning they can't meet their mortgage. They're bleeding, right? And some, some have small bleeds and some have gigantic bleeds. Uh, half of these are in the Jesus can't save you bucket and will go back to the bank. The other half, I think that there are options and syn- good syndicators are trying their very best. I don't want to bash these syndicators. The whole industry was irrational, right? Sure. So I'll yeah. just say investors and syndicators together as a group were irrational back then. Yeah. My question is, what does that have to do with today? Right yeah. today, today, twenty-two percent is the lowest discount you get from peak, and twenty-six percent is pretty common if you're buying a two hundred unit property. If you're buying a hundred and fifty unit, hundred twenty-five unit, then you're probably getting twenty-one, twenty-two percent. Buying you know two hundred fifty units, like a huge property, fifty million dollars. That those are the prices. So here's a example, and this is from James Ang, who is a, a you know incredible broker in in Texas. Shout out to him. His numbers are incredible. He showed us in a webinar day before yesterday a property that looks like it was bought for $48 million, right? So bought for $48 million. And on top of that, you can imagine there were lots and lots of fees, lots and lots of you know uh, lender fees, lots and lots of uh, fees to, uh, uh, to uh, uh, the syndicators. So you know, it probably all in, it was really 50 million, right? That property is on sale right now for $35 million in the Dallas Metro. Oh my right? goodness. Wow. So my question is, who cares about what happened back then? Yeah. This property is too cheap. Because this property makes a fundamental assumption that is complete bullshit. It assumes that interest rates will stay this high for all of the next five years. So what you're saying, when you you look at this property and you say, this property, I don't want to buy, what you're saying is, for the next five consecutive years, at no point are interest rates going to come down below where they are today. Because even if if they come down for a year, you have options, right? Sure. So so you're saying for five straight years, this is going to be the interest rate? Is Can you, everyone respects the Federal Reserve because unlike everyone else, they, they don't bullshit you. you just, they just tell you we're data-driven. We'll change our mind every month, right? The Federal Reserve is shameless in that if politicians change their mind, they're finished. Their career is gone because people are like, you, you, you change your mind. 
The Federal Reserve says new data came in and it showed inflation to be high. So instead of lowering interest rates, we're going to raise interest rates. Data driven. Love them. Love the Federal Reserve. Mm -hmm. Right. They may have made the mistake of starting the, the rate hikes late, late for that. Shame on them. But today they're data driven. My feedback is this. The Federal Reserve is the most conservative forecaster in the United States. Can anyone please go to Google and look at the Fed dot plot? It clearly shows interest rates declining to 2% over the next three years. Hmm. So why in God's name do you think that a property today is overpriced when you when we know that rates at some point in the next one year, two years, three years, or four years, or five years are going to be lower? Right. Well, right. in that case, aren't you getting a deal? Yeah. Because you're, it's based on today's price, which has become reasonable, right? So there was a, a break between sellers and buyers where, where buyers were saying, sellers were saying, no, we're not going to sell our property for this price. Obviously, that's changed because prices went down 5%, 10, 15, 20, now 25, probably 30 in the next few months. So there, it's clear now that if you're not at the exact right price of the property, you're pretty close, right? Yeah. You're pretty close. So let's just say that that prices are not perfect right now, but you're pretty close. Why would you have a trouble with pretty close now when you were clearly paying $10 million over the price of a property 19 months ago? You didn't seem to have a problem with it then, right? Then you were paying 10 million over. Today, you're paying 1 million over, but today's 1 million over is no, no, no. 18 yeah. months ago, 10 million. Yes, yes, yes. This is irrational behavior. I'm seeing so many investors, they're going to regret this because I fundamentally believe that the, the cap rates, not the price, the cap rates of multifamily are going to hit a bottom, most likely in Q1 of this year, possibly Q2, could be Q1, Q2. But I do not see scenarios where cap rates continue to decline in Q4 of next year or Q1 of the year after that. The reason for that is cap rates are, it's very clear that there's a relationship between cap rates and interest rates. In the same 18 months that interest rates have come down, gone up, Cap rates have gone up and they've gone up at the same speed if you look at it very carefully. Same speed. Mm. So there's a clear correlation. Everyone talks about it. Everyone says that the correlation is there, right? Mm -hmm. Why is it no one willing to make the next conclusion, which is when interest rates drop, cap rates should also drop because cap rates don't just behave one way. They behave both ways, right? Mm -hmm. So when the Federal Reserve, which is the most conservative forecaster clearly shows interest rates going back down to 2% over the next three years. And by the way, Wall Street doesn't think it's going to take three, three years. Wall Street thinks it's going to take 18 months. If you want mm. to take their forecast, wow. they think it's going to be done in 18 months, mm. right? And even the futures market, which basically puts money on these kinds of things, says we'll be done in two years, right? So don't believe the futures market. Don't believe Wall Street. Never believe Wall Street. But <laughs> the Fed, it's their job to be overly conservative, because right. the only thing the Fed is being af is afraid of is being wrong, the, right? The Fed is afraid of being wrong. So they want to be very conservative. They show it going back to 2%. Hmm. Well, how could multifamily today, right, be worth the interest rates three years from now? That makes no sense. On a $30 million property, it's easy. you're easily going to gain $3 million. Mm-hmm. Right, maybe even four. So it's not going to be magic of this crazy type that I did in Greenville, South Carolina, where I buy a property and because of cap rate arbitrage, 15 months later I sell it and and make my investors, you know, more than two x. That madness is gone forever. Mm -hmm. But in a reasonable time, if I told you, hey, buy this 30 million dollar property, and unrelated to anything that Ken and Kevin do with this property and the work that they put in, you're going to get a three million dollar bump in the next two years. 
Almost in every case, you would say yes. And I know there's many of you that think, well, $3 million is only 10%. No, but on a $30 million property, your equity is $12 million, right? Mm-hmm. Even today, it's only $12 million. So if you get a $3 million, maybe $4 million bump, and it's likely to be more than that, by the way, I, I think I think that 26% decline that we're seeing, we're going to go back halfway to that. We're not going to mm-hmm. go back. It's never going to go back to 26%. Those right. were irrational. But about half of that was rational, and half of that was was uh, you know just buzz. That mm-hmm. buzz is gone forever. So if we retrench halfway, that's 13% of 30 million. That's four million dollars in the bag. Hmm. Today, rate you know prices are so good that you can get somewhere around 14% IRR without gaming the Excel spreadsheet. You can get to about 14, maybe 13, mm-hmm. and then you have this three or four million dollars that's not in there. Because you're not going to assume it, right? But it's going to happen, and that's why investors today are extraordinarily highly irrational. So, talk for a minute. Then, who who's selling these at a discount right now? Are these investors who've given them projects back to the bank, or are these folks that have been sitting sitting on these projects for a while and and, and they just want out? Or who's selling now at a discount? Firstly, volumes are down. So volumes in the United States are down about 60%, just so you know. So if there were a thousand properties selling in a year, I don't know how many sell, but sure. assuming that there's a thousand, right now there's 400. So there's less properties. Now, yep. there's this assumption, well, the only people selling are the people that uh, are in distress. Well, that makes no sense at all. The United States, um, 64% of Americans live in their own homes. So they are, they're homeowners. 36% of Americans live in apartments of some kind, right? So that typically, right? So you can imagine that there's tens of millions of apartments because we're talking, you know, 330 million people, 36% of that is over 100 million people, correct? Mm -hmm. Right? So over 100 million people live in some sort of rental housing and uh, maybe 10, 20 million live in single family homes, the rest live in apartments. Let's assume that there's four people in every family. So that's 80 million people, that's 20 million apartments, right? So from that number, 20 million apartments, you immediately realize there must be at least 100,000 properties in the United States of 200 units. Because 100,000 properties multiplied by 200 units, that's about 20 million, right? Actually, the number is about 105,000. So the 105,000 properties in the United States are in that bucket, right? And people are like, ooh, so all of these 105,000 are in trouble. No, Yardi Matrix is saying 2,500 properties are in trouble. Okay, what about the rest? I mean, that sounds like peanuts, right? Why are the rest not in trouble? Well, anybody who bought them in 2018, 2017, 2016, 15, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, has such a disgustingly large amount of equities, they're not in any, they probably refinanced three times by now, sure. yeah. right? right? There is no equity in that property, right? So there's no panic, there's no distress. So you, you can even do a cash call if you pulled out 3X the money, right? Yeah. So bottom line is that the properties that are in trouble are only those properties that were purchased with floating rate debt in the last three years, Mm -hmm. right? Where people overpaid. I can't assume that every single property in the last three years was overpaid. And so Yardi Matrix is saying there's only 2,500 properties in the United States that are below a DSCR of one, which is a fancy way of saying the property's uh, income is not matching its mortgage and expenses, right? So. 2,500 out of 100,000 properties. So how could we possibly say that every property that's coming to market is is um, you know is distressed? What's really happening is people need to sell properties for a variety of reasons, right? Mm-hmm. Right now I'm selling a property. Is it distressed? Hell no. The property is not distressed at all, right? The, the question is, so Neil, why are you selling it? Why don't you hold on for another two years? The answer is I my business plan 
was to double my investors' money in five years. I've held the property for three and a half years, and I've sort of seen if the if there's a little break in the in, in the cap rates, and I, I I get a chance. The challenge is because that property has seen such an inflation in um in in its expenses, right? Mm-hmm. And it does have floating rate debt. I have a rate cap, so you know the property is not bleeding. The mm-hmm. problem is it's not giving my investors cash flow. Yeah. And because I'm not giving my investors cash flow, I bought this property for $22 million. It's in best and final at, you know, whatever, close to four. I can't say that because I'm, I'm in best and final. Let's just say it's a huge number of millions more, right? Um, then, then I've paid. So obviously I'm two and a half timing my investors' money in, in four years. Why am I selling? Because I can't give them any cash flow on a property that makes a humongous amount of money and has a humongous amount of profit. There's so many people that are selling for the same reason. Mm. You know, their properties are not in any trouble, right? They're making huge amounts of money, but they can't give cash flow to their investors. So they're saying, you know what, we're going to exit. Nothing mm. wrong in that, but they have to pay, they have to sell it at the market price. And that's 20, 22 to 26% off. Right, right. And there's, like you said, they're still making money. They just maybe didn't sell in the frenzy. Okay. But they're still selling and like making their investors money. It's just at a discount from where it was, you know. Yeah. This particular property, I couldn't sell during the frenzy. I I was, I've only been left with two, just so you know, because Mm -hmm. this property did not have the occupancy for me to sell it during the frenzy. So now it's 96% occupied, but I was in the process. I bought a distressed property and I had to undistress it. That's right. Right. Yeah. You know, in terms of financing in the multifamily space, is it typically when you're, stabilizing an asset is it typically floating rate or are you locking in like hey when i'm done with this stabilization in a year and a half or two years here's my interest rate is it is it normal to already know what that what you're gonna like almost like a construction of perm where you've already locked into that interest rate what's normal because i just don't know how that works in multifamily space obviously two years ago everyone would just take a bridge loan of some kind and a bridge loan is floating for the most part so it's a floating rate and the rate would go up and down that's what people were doing that's what we were doing most people did that Today, there are options for you to get a bridge loan that is locked in from Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac. So those loans do exist, but you're paying a lot more than if you were if it wasn't a bridge loan, right? And typically you take a bridge loan because your property is distressed or its occupancy is low, something else is happening with it, or you, you know, you want to make repairs, upgrades, whatever it might be. And so there are options today for you that, you know, bridge loans still exist, but they're really expensive. So in most cases, they just, the pencil, the, the property doesn't pencil out. It, unless you already own it, you know, you probably wouldn't go in that direction. Keep in mind, a lot of people have this crazy belief that, hey, mortgage rates are, you know, almost 7% in August, 2023. Therefore, uh, multifamily mortgage rates must be higher. Such a nonsensical idea today Anyone, not me, I'm not special. Anyone that has a occupied property that's stable can go to Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac and get 10-year fixed loan with five years of IO for 5.75%. There is nothing special about this number. It's universal. Anyone can get it. Hmm. Anyone can qualify. Five years of interest only, hmm. 10 years locked, 30-year amortization. So you're you're you know, it's basically getting spread out over 30 years. Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, 5.75. Anyone can get it. And you might say, how in God's name do they make that number work? The short answer is Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, which only basically play in the multifamily arena for the most part, are there have a mandate for housing to keep housing liquid, to provide liquidity and debt to housing. So what mm-hmm. they do is they take the 10-year treasury rate, which in August is 4.01%, and then they put a spread on top of it, which is very narrow, 1.6%, 1.65%. 
well, 4.07 plus 1.65, you're at 5.72, hmm. right? So multifamily as an asset class is always liquid because there's two companies, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, together Congress gives them $130 billion a year and their only job is to spend it. Mm -hmm. Right. That's their job. They're a quasi government mm -hmm. organization. Now, do they spend it on hotels? No. Retail? No. Malls? No. Uh, offices? No. They spend it on housing and almost a very large chunk of it goes into apartments. So mm. that is privileged situation. That is privileged. Right. Because today you can't get that 5.75 rate for even the best performing hotel in America. You can't. They just there's no options to do that because there isn't a quasi government organization with free money that is right. giving you access to that. Believe it or not, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac are so desperate to spend their 130 billion, they've only spent 44 billion in the first six months. So they're like, oh my God, I'm not spending enough money. And you know, if you're a government organization, you have to spend every dime that you have because the next year you won't get it. That's right? right. You'll get less. So guess what Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac did a few weeks ago? 35 year loans. 35 year loans. Wow. And now they're going into seven years of IO, right? Wow. So, so what's happening is as the situation is getting worse and interest rates are getting higher, basically a government organization is jumping into subsidized multifamily. That's insanely awesome. And most people don't understand that this yeah. never happens in any other asset class because they're not required to do it for any other asset class. Wow. And on top of that, it's basically it's on multifamily is on sale right now. Compared to the last the last two years, you got these two Every multifamily property in the United States is on sale to varying different levels. And as I said, we might, might have come down 26% and 13 of that was just irrational exuberance. It's sure. gone forever. And that, that last 13 is the discount. I will happily take a 13% discount over a 26% overpayment. Yeah. 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 Heck right. yeah. It's a 39-point swing if you really think about it in one way, right? Yeah. So and The government's it, willing to give you terms that are just ridiculous to get into it. Because the, because the government actually, I mean, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, they don't want to lose their jobs. It, the, yeah. the less billions they have, the less people they will employ. And government organizations are very good at figuring out how to keep everyone's jobs. Whether it's good for the economy or not, I'm not going to say. The, it, bottom line is they'll spend that money. They'll If they don't, they'll, they'll start doing 40-year loans. If they can't get enough 35-year loans, I bet you that in, in six months, we're going to have 40-year loans. None of this means that prices may not continue to drop, Ken. They might still drop. Mm -hmm. But my argument is this. If you bought, I bought a shit ton of single family in distressed single family, and I bought it in 2009, 2008, 2010, 11, 12, 13, 14, right? Then I stopped. Mm -hmm. And I was an idiot, by the way, shouldn't have stopped. But mm -hmm. my point is, I don't even remember which of those properties was at the bottom, bottom, probably sure. the one in 2010. Right. But every single one of those properties was discounted and every single one of those properties made me an enormous amount of profit. Yeah. I get it? Yeah. So if you're going to sit here and say, well, prices could go down another 5%, they've already dropped 26%, that's not an investor. You're actually a speculator and you're better off in the stock market. There's lots of speculation opportunities every day. Go there. Yeah. What investors do, like, you know, uh, Warren Buffett is a perfect example. He's like God to me. Warren Buffett will basically not buy anything for most market cycles. And then when he gets to the point where he's convinced that it's discounted, he buys as many things as he can, but he spreads it out. He calls it dollar cost averaging, which is a, the word that we use in the stock market, but it actually works. Multifamily cost averaging. So you're getting a 26% discount. Buy a property today. 
The next one, get a 29. Maybe they, maybe you'll be lucky and get to 32. Then the one after that will be another 29 because the market values are not going out. Then 26, then 24. When you get to 20, maybe stop. And now you've got a bunch of properties that you bought all below market. And some, some of those properties were definitely at the bottom, right? Because yeah. you kept buying every right. three months. Right. Well, that's the only way that anyone in the world has ever figured out how to get to the bottom, dollar cost averaging. Yeah. If somebody argues to me today that prices are going to go down another 15% from where they are, that person does not know how to do basic algebra. They, they cannot do basic math. They cannot do basic arithmetic. They do not understand trend lines. It's almost impossible because you know what that person is actually saying? If you want prices to go down another 15%, that the Federal Reserve is going to raise rates to 8%. The Fed funds rate right now is at 5.5. The economy is creaking. The uh, The... Uh, industrial index, the manufacturing index is negative for five months. Inflation's dropped from you know 9.1 to 3.1, seems to be dropping. Jobs have dropped from 400,000 a month to 188,000 a month, right? Doesn't look like the economy is booming anymore. It was booming six months ago, but remember it, rate, rate hikes take a while to wind their way through the economy and they cer certainly are doing today. So the chances that the Fed will even do one more interest hike, which the market's saying there's probably a 10, 15, 15% chance that they might do one more interest hike, mm -hmm. and that's a quarter point, is remote. In my mind, it's pretty remote, right? Mm -hmm. Could happen, right? But that's still a quarter point. If you're waiting for prices to drop another 15%, you're saying it's going to go to 8%. The answer is, in what world does the United States government finance its debt if the Fed funds rate is 8%? You realize that our interest in that case would be touching one and a half trillion dollars a year. In what world can we exist as an economy if it goes to that level? And what reason do we have to go to that level when simply by keeping the rate where it is, we're seeing a straight line decline in inflation? That's mm -hmm. what people are doing if they're not investing today. I'm waiting for a better time. Mm -hmm. Sure. Mm -hmm. And that better time is probably going to come the next time prices go down, probably seven or eight years from now. So mm -hmm. good luck to you. Right. <laughs> I'm very consistent. I've been saying, stop, wait, don't buy, don't buy. Prices will go down. They make no sense. I, If you watch a podcast in January this year, I said, wait until July. Actually, I waited an extra month. But in August, I'm in the market. I'm underwriting 60, 70 properties a week. I'm making offers. I have a property in contract in, in Tallahassee. I have another property in contract that I want to put in contract in Texas uh, and, and a bunch of other places. I'm Texas and Florida are not my favorites. I'm just looking at discounts. Yeah. Right. So bottom line, great time to purchase multifamily properties. Can't convince one investor of that. <laughs> they, they are, they're all licking their wounds and they're it's, you know, it's the guys that got stung in 05, you know, 06, 07, who didn't want to invest in eight, nine and 10 because they had just taken a, a, a pounding, but they should have, they could have, you know, mitigated some of those less. It's the same thing that's happening right now is what, is what you're saying. Yeah. Um, so uh, my next question to you was going to be, what are you doing? And it sounds like you are actively, as of this month, then you're actively starting to underwrite and you're shopping for these deals. We started to underwrite in, in July. And in the last month alone, I think I've seen at least a swing of 2 to 3% in prices. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I expect that swing to slow down now because you know the Fed was throwing hand grenades and now they're basically just going tap, tap, right? Yep, Quarter right. point every two months is very different from 75 basis points every month. Right. Um, 
right? And so when they were doing that late last year, it was affecting the prices in the Q1 and Q2 this year, right? So prices were falling quickly and now they're falling a little bit slower. Yeah. But but I do expect them to drop another few percent. And anyone that tells me, why did you buy this property when you think prices will drop 2%, the answer is, if you don't understand why we do that, you're not an investor, you're a speculator. Only speculators wait until the bottom and they always miss the bottom yeah. because the only way to know it's the bottom is after prices go up. In hindsight, that's right. Yeah, right. exactly. Interesting. Well, Neil, this has been super, super eye-opening because like you said, there's so much clickbait out there right now about, oh, multifamily, the sky is falling. The sky. Well, okay, then, then great. Now's the time to get in. I, mean, I know right? the sky is falling, but it's falling in office. So the, the short answer is there's a another asset class that has the sky falling. And what's happening is most people don't understand this. Multifamily is not part of commercial real estate. So when you see uh, something that's saying a trillion dollars for commercial real estate, they're generally not including multifamily in that. Right, because right. there are two kinds of uh, multifamily definitions. One includes uh, multifamily and commercial real estate. One doesn't. Most people in the industry say multifamily or commercial real estate, or multifamily and commercial real estate. Right, so it's basically all the other asset classes except multifamily, and usually multifamily is separated out. Um, and that clickbait is affecting investors. They don't see what's mm. happening. I mean, right. you have occupancies down in the seventies for office. Yeah. Occupancy for multifamily is at 95%. Yeah. After this enormous supply, I mean, we have a massive, massive supply of new construction multifamily that's come in that started early this year and it's going to basically continue for another 12, 13 months. Hmm. And occupancy is moved by three quarters of 1%. Oof. Yeah. Well, they're apples, like you said, they're apples and oranges. There's two totally different asset classes, multifamily versus office and, you know, people working from home. I mean, there's a zillion reasons why office is is not doing great right now. But like you said, multifamily, office doesn't have Fannie and Freddie propping it up either. There's a zillion di differences between uh, office and multifamily, but. That's right. 40 plus percent of all office loans are small to mid-sized banks who are running scared after, you know, uh, First Republic died and, and Signature Bank died. And all of those are tightening their requirements, making a lot of office basically unrefinanceable under any scenario. There's a building, I live in San, near San Francisco. There's a building, I think it's 555 Market Street. It's the Wells Fargo headquarters in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. The building was evaluated at $1,000 a square foot in value in 2019, which is the peak of the office values. Mm -hmm. um, and that building was just sold for $200 a square foot, an 80% discount. Half a mile away is the Union Bank building, which was sold at a 75% discount from peak. Oh my goodness. Crazy. Holy cow, that is crazy. Now, that is that is one of those absolute worst case examples, but we are seeing numbers, and this is a, I'm actually reading a number to you. Cred IQ reviewed 190 appraisals of major properties across all asset classes. And their answer is that uh, let's see, where is it? Multifamily down 22%, industrial down 21%, office down 48.7%, but office was not the worst. Retail sales for these 190 assets, retail was down 57%. Oh my wow. gosh, holy moly. This is CredIQ. The article is on globestreet.com. And if you want to Google it, the uh, title is, this is how bad retail and office valuation drops have gotten. The date is August 7th, 2023. This is what's happening in the marketplace. That's why the buzz is negative. I sort of like the fact that the buzz on multifamily is negative because yeah. 
there's actually less property selling right now. When I used to be in best and final, I couldn't even get into best and final for two years. I mean, just like I was just out by a million dollars. Now I'm like within a few hundred thousand dollars because, you know, the math makes more sense these days. And there's like two people or three people in best and final before people started having best and finals with six. How can it be a best and final if you've got half a dozen people in there, right? <laughs> yeah. Clearly there's going to be another best and final after this best and final right. to get to the last three and then the last two and then, you know, whatever. So it's now things make sense. Like yeah. numbers actually make sense. Yeah. It is interesting though, that the office and the commercial headlines are having the effect on multifamily and keeping people out of that space which is giving folks like yourself opportunity to get in there and actually have a fighting chance to get some of these lower priced properties. Absolutely. Shouldn't we get some benefit? We we stayed out of the madness. Yeah. Right. Shouldn't we now be getting some benefit? Some, some, but it's funny, my investors are still scared, even though they understand why we stayed out for those two years. Um, but weirdly enough, they went and invested with other people, suffered, and I'm still getting the ding for it. But that's life. Huh. Well, do you have investors? Are you are you struggling to raise? capital now or do you are investors kind of the light bulb's gone off hey neil knows what he's doing let's go take, take a look at some of these new properties i think i'm having less trouble than others but it's across the board in the industry so i'm not exempt um for example yeah. crowd street is a um is a very large um you know crowdfunding platform right from numbers that i recently saw from the wall street journal they raised 250 million dollars in investor equity in 2022 so far in six months, I think it, it, the article was showing the first six months, they raised 32 million. So 32 million in half a year, 250 million last year, you can see that this isn't something that's specific to me. It's just right. investors being irrational as they usually are. Yeah. 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 How interesting. Neil, this has been incredibly insightful. My brain's spinning a little bit, but <laughs> it's I tend to have that effect. Like, <laughs> no, if, if I don't kill the podcaster by the end of the podcast by exploding their brain, that's a that's a good podcast for me. Yeah, almost, we're almost there. But in really, really, really insightful. I mean, and, and for those folks that are sitting on the sidelines, especially that want to be in the multifamily space, everybody always wants to know those indicators. So, hey, when are we close to the bottom? When are we at the bottom? But you're backing it up with data and you're actually backing it up with what you're doing. You're, you know, you're, you're, you're actually executing on looking at deals yourself. So that, that tells you that you believe we're close to the bottom, if not at the bottom in terms close of pricing to. for multi multifamily. So no one can ever predict the bottom. Yeah. I, you know, last year I made a prediction. I was so woefully off. I said, single family prices won't go down as much as multifamily. They'll go down 7%. And so if I had been waiting for that bottom, it would have never come because so from July 2022 to June 2023, single family prices in the United States decreased by 1%. Right. Yeah. Nobody saw that coming, though. Don't, no. Don't kick yourself. Uh, and I realized it that. was, you know, belatedly, I realized it was because all, everyone had locked in rates. Right. So that, right. you know, I should have really thought about the, their exposure to interest rates being much lower as right. an asset class than, than multifamily. But I mean, everyone was gloom and doom 12 months ago. So I picked the 7% number, which, by the way, was the same number as Goldman Sachs. Um, you know, and, and CoStar, by the way, was at 22%. So I, I can say that I was better than 22%. CoStar said, you know, uh, home prices might go down 20% or 20, I think it was 20%. And so I was at seven. So marginally, I was better than CoStar, uh, <laughs> but still awfully wrong. Yeah, yeah. Nobody's got a crystal ball. Nobody knows where at the bottom. Nobody knows exactly what house prices are going to do. But it's like you said, you follow the data and you make your educated guesses. Um, Neil, man, I really enjoyed my time with you and um, can't wait to do our travel podcast next. 
Yeah, we got to do that next. If Invite people want to time, I'll, we'll, we'll, I'll do the I'll 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 do the whole podcast on how I hack travel, and I'll, I'll give it. you the names of the airlines that are easy to hack and the ones that are very difficult to hack. I love it, man. I'm, and trust me, I've written down all sorts of resources you've given me because I'm going to figure out how to hack it the way you are. Hey, for folks that want to um, check you out, want to learn a little bit more about what you're doing and some of your businesses, where where can we send them? Um, I'm the only Neil Bawa on the World Wide Web. So everything good and bad that you read is about me, N-E-A-L-B-A-W-A. Just type that into Google. You'll see, I don't know, hundreds of podcasts and articles about me. They're all really about me. Um, mm -hmm. and the second thing is join us at multifamily followed by the letter u.com. That's, that's multifamilyu.com. We do 15 webinars a year. About 20,000 people sign up for these webinars. Um, and we do all kinds of webinars. They're not even, uh, the last one was how artificial intelligence is the greatest change in human history since the invention of fire. And we had 3000 people show up for that one or 3000 people saw it. Um, and uh, so we do all these kinds of things. I mean, I'm a technologist. I'll always be a technologist. I'm never a real estate guy. I'm simply somebody that likes to apply technology to different things. And I really love applying them to real estate because of its tax benefits. So multifamilyu.com is actually a place for interesting content somewhat related to multifamily. There you go. There you go. Folks, again, multifamilyu.com. And it's funny, I did. I, I Googled you myself. Yeah, you, you're all over the place. It's not hard to find you if you want to look up Neil. It's got, we sort of have the benefit too, having a, a different last name, Corsini. There's not many Ken Corsinis out there. So that's right. you have the benefit. It's not like a John Smith or anything. So uh, Neil, again, really enjoyed our time with you today. Can't wait to talk again. Sounds good. Thanks for having me on, guys. All right. Thank Take you. Take care, buddy. Bye. Man, Kevin, was that good or what? I, you know, the guy's just brilliant. Like I was trying to keep up with notes and then I just, I was like, I'm just going to go back and watch this podcast a few times. Cause this is just, there's so much information here. That was so good. I had no idea how motivated I was going to be to like, go find a multifamily deal after this. <laughs> no, right? He's we, talking, I'm looking at you and I was like, we got to find some apartments. We got we gotta, we gotta to go find some stuff. We got to yeah, because this is, the time. this is the time, man. <laughs> everybody's running for the Hills. Everybody's, you know, bleeding a little bit for multifamily. And he's like, yes, now is the time to get in. We are hitting the trough. Like guys, if there was ever a time to get in rather than run for the Hills, this is it. And did you know about that that government money was available at those type of rates? I didn't know that. I had no idea. Nope. Nope. I mean, I knew that there were Fannie and Freddie loans uh, available from, from multifamily. I didn't realize that they were that much lower than like single family and that it was that available and that they were getting more creative by the month because they have to invest this money, right? Yeah. I mean, Crazy. What, if you were ever going to get into multifamily, man, what a great time right now to explore it. So I think we need to do a little digging, see what we can find out there. Yeah. Well, and we need to get on his calendar again for the travel, the travel episode. Yes, let's come back so to that. Good. I learned Dude, so we're much. Flying on that. We're flying to Singapore for the business. Yeah, yeah, we're going to Phuket. We're going to Bali. He's going to tell us how to do it on points. I mean, it was yeah, unbelievable how he was a wealth of he's just a wealth of knowledge. I have a feeling you could yeah. sit down with Neil and talk about any topic and he would know more than you hands down every yes. time. Yeah, he's got that unique combination of not only does he have the data analyst knowledge like he's bringing facts to the table yeah. but he's also really personable so he's just yeah. easy to talk to it's like yeah, yeah. i, I want to keep hearing about it. let's keep talking about this yeah you can see why he is a highly sought after speaker and speaks all over yeah. the place because he's just a wealth of information i i did want to i didn't ask but i did want to ask are we the first podcast where he's gone switched over to buy because he said he talked on all these podcasts throughout the year and it's like don't buy don't buy now it's not the time i think we might be the first we might or be one the of the first, first. Yeah, in the last two years, we might be the first where he's like, okay, now's the time to start buying. I've told you pull for the, the last trigger. two it's years, it. wait, and now, it, now pull the trigger.
because it sounded like it was like based on reports that had just come out like yes like yesterday i mean it was, yeah. it's all really recent so yeah yeah so you guys you heard it here first now is the time to start buying multifamily according to neil bawa that's right <laughs> uh hey kevin i think we should do this again next week next week what do you think love it i think it's a great plan we'll dig out of the email and uh, next week will be even better yeah sounds like a plan see you dude see you Friends, thanks so much for making it all the way to the end of today's podcast. If you or possibly a friend has any interest in learning more about real estate investing or opportunities with Red Barn Home Buyers, take a minute and head on over to redbarnhomes.com and check out our investors page or our franchise page, or just drop us a note. We'd love to hear from you. Can't wait to see you on the next episode of The Deal Farm. Hey friends, just a final thought before you check out. You know, so many of us are going 100 miles an hour through life. We're weighed down by stress or worry or even that haunting feeling of emptiness. But it doesn't have to be that way. I've actually put together a quick resource at faithcrossroad.com where I share just a little bit about the faith that gives me hope and purpose and identity. And I'd love to share it with you. Again, faithcrossroad.com.